0: Good morning again on this Wednesday, the 22nd of September. It is see you at the poll day. It is also, I think, officially the very last day of summer. I don't know. Fall kind Uh, of arrives. Actually, fall arrives at uh, 2, 2 2.20-ish p.m. (laughs) Central Time. There you go. Paul, what does it feel like outside where you are right now?
1: Ah, a little cool today, but not yeah, too bad. Here, too. Not, not normal. Here, too. Not normal.
0: No, no. But, I mean, like, today's the first day that when I woke up, it was under, like, just under 59, but it's under 60 degrees, and I thought, oh, oh, oh fall has finally arrived. Summer uh-huh. has finally ended. All
1: right. Just a little something to put a little, um, you know... Mm-hmm. Shock! Uh, they are dealing with a frost advisory in the Arrowhead of Minnesota, and I saw some temperatures this morning down around thirty-one
0: degrees, like in Chisholm. So I know, you know. And aren't those people? Aren't those people saying to themselves, "Thank God, summer is over, fall has arrived." Now that would be like winter where I live, but you know, it's
1: all relative. <laughs> it's all relative. They know what's coming relative. in three months. Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Here we go. A few headlines of the day. Okay. If I am going to judge what you're interested in based on um, what you send me via email or via the text line, then um, here is what is on the minds of listeners today. COVID, 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 COVID. There you go. So uh, I don't often lead with a bunch of COVID headlines, but it's apparently what is consuming your attention these days based on what you're communicating. So uh, here are a few COVID headlines for today. Um, governors across the country are actively recruiting pastors to promote vaccinations. I found this to be a very interesting development. There has been a push from what has historically been um, the faith uh, the, the faith engagement office in the White House. It's now the community outreach office, but they're um, they have developed this uh, faith in the vaccine ambassadorial unit and they are actively recruiting pastors to promote vaccinations. Now, I'll just tell you that some of the language is a little troubling to me um, because they are seeking to make good on the trust that pastors have in local communities. I mean, they just come right out and say, local faith leaders uh, have a level of trust at critical points in people's lives, and we want them to use that trust to help convince more people to get vaccinated. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, at least they're saying the quiet parts out loud. But that is going on. Uh, faith leaders and some faith communities, including some Christian colleges across the country, have joined what is called the Faith in the vaccine movement. You can find faith in the vaccine ambassadors at many college campuses around the country um obviously christian colleges, and so that 's an interesting development as well there uh is a uh, a robust conversation uh around religious exemptions. We have touched on this from time to time i don 't actually think that there's a legitimate religious exemption? Like, you would have to prove to me um, where that is coming from. Um, do I think religious exemptions exist? Yes, I do. Um, do I think that sort of the run-of-the-mill Christian out there um, has a a claim to a religious exemption? Um, no, I don't, personally. But maybe you know of one that's not genuinely, like, at, at its most basic level, political. It's, it, is, it, is there a sincerely held religious belief that leads you to want a religious exemption for the vaccine. I'd I'd love to hear about that if you have one. Um, Others are publicly promoting and offering to supply people with religious exemptions. Um, People don't even have to have a sincerely held belief. They have to just contribute to the church. There's a pastor who is saying, if you donate to my church, I will give you a religious exemption. Um, That does not seem legitimate to me. Uh, Churches and other faith-based organizations are preparing for laws that will require proof of vaccination before people can enter the facility. This one ought to raise our eyebrows and some level of alarm. So I'm looking here at an article uh, about a church in New Brunswick that is uh, testing out, um, uh, like, how they're going to read, scan those codes at the entrance. They've got, um, you know, they they want to be able to scan the... Um, the QR code that proves that a person is vaccinated. Now, this is currently in Canada, but, you know, it's headed our way. Parents are preparing for a range of challenges related to the expectation of vaccine mandates for schools across the country um, as there are efforts to drive the vaccine mandate down below the age of 12. So all of that is going on. Uh, In the midst of that, people are losing their jobs for refusing to be vaccinated. We have heard stories not only of medical personnel, but now increasingly people in media. So there's a meteorologist in Michigan. He had been serving faithfully for 33 years, uh, you know, as the weatherman, and he was fired for refusing to be vaccinated because he ultimately works for a company that has more than 100 employees, even though there are only like six total people in the office where he actually works. So you can see how this conversation is growing across the country. My guess is you're having these conversations right where you are. I would like us to consider how we're having the conversations. So let us pray to get in a place of peace ourselves, that every thought would be captive to Christ, that our emotions would be in check, that we would be God-honoring and people-loving at every moment, that we would ask questions and that we would listen. I, I want you to listen for the fear. I want you to listen for the concern that's behind the rhetoric. Let's ask follow-up questions. Let's get beyond the recitation of talking points. Have a family meeting and actually listen to each other. Listen to your parents. Listen to your children. Listen to your siblings. What do you believe? Who do you believe? What are you afraid of? How are we going to respectfully relate to one another through this? Have the life and death conversations. If you don't know how to unlock each other's phones, let me tell you, as a person in a house where that is now the stumbling block before us in, a, in an estate issue related to my brother-in-law who died of COVID, we can't unlock his phone. Let me just tell you, if you can't unlock somebody's phone, there's just a ton of information you can't access that would help you in the process. So what's your advanced plan? Let's be transparent in our communication with our loved ones. And yeah, let's share information very, very carefully and with wisdom. Verify your sources before passing on to others what you in turn have also received. Take the time to carefully vet the information that you are sharing. Wherever it's coming from, let's do so with wisdom. And let's be gracious. Let's be gracious. Not everyone is going to end up in the same place on any given point, um, nor on many of the larger questions in front of us. And our witness to Christ matters in the midst of all of this. So let's be gracious with one another. All right, next up, another one of my colleagues. It's like Colleague Day on Mornings with Carmen. This is John Brandon, Digital Media Director for Northwestern Media. And he and I are going to talk about some economic headlines. We'll be right back. London joins me now. He's a Forbes columnist. He's also the digital media director here at Northwestern Media. He's written a book. You can pre-order it, 7minutesolution.com. John, welcome back.
2: Hey, thanks for having me again.
0: So I am looking at a new post at Forbes.com. We're all working longer hours, but social media isn't, and social media isn't helping. Talk with us about how much more we're working on average under, you know, like COVID time. And, and sort of what's going on with us in the midst of that?
2: Yeah, this is a study that was conducted by Microsoft. So, and, and actually when, as a journalist, sometimes I look at the sources for things and I think, well, I wonder what Microsoft has a, has to gain by doing a study like this. But they did interview hundreds of people. Uh, they found out that the according to their research, we're working about 10% more per week. And so... You know, not not a huge amount, but enough to say, oh, I wonder what's happening there. And they the the study suggested, of course, remote work during the pandemic. Um, I usually turn to technology and say, we have access to these tools. We all have. Most of us have laptops, most of us have phones, and we use them a lot. So with social media, there's this allure that's happening all the time, and with technology, there's this allure, and we can never get enough of it, and so we tend to log in more. We tend to go, you know, check our Instagram, check our Facebook, then we check Instagram again just to make sure, and that's leading to a lot of overwork, a lot of stress, and a lot of anxiety
0: you talk in um in your piece about clocking in, quote unquote clocking in after hours. If I were actually like clocking in and out, which I think this is this is an interesting conversation to have. You know, I have a uh, an 18-year-old who has her first clocking in and clocking out job. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's an interesting experience, right? Like I have I will just confess. I've never clocked actually like physically clocked in and out of a job. Um I either had a job where, you know, the, the, the clocking in and out was done by the supervisor, like, right, sort of keeping track of the fact that you arrived on time and left on time. Or it's been a professional position where we don't clock in and out. Talk with us about clocking in and out in the professional life.
2: I'm actually the same way. I never worked in the food service industry for some reason, and I've, I've never really had a job where I clocked in and clocked out. Um, Which is ironic because, of course, we're clocking in and clocking out all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that I think happens that that, uh, the reason why we're trying to stay up on all these things is we have this mentality that we always have to be on. We always have to reply right away. Um, if you're in a job where, you know, it's a little more fluid, you can come in at eight o'clock, you can come in at 10 o'clock, as long as you get your work done. That model seems to make sense and start until you start realizing you're working 70 hours a week, then it doesn't make any sense at all. But I do have a, uh, something that I was going to talk to you about, about why this is happening. And I think it's because we're obsessed with technology and we're obsessed with work And it's very elusive. Uh, I've got a quote for you today. It's from a uh, psychologist called Dr. Vincent Folletti. And he said, uh, a constant pursuit of something that is just barely out of our grasp is the definition for addiction and obsession. So what's happening here is that, uh, and I'm I'm a social media expert. I study this field and I, I read about it all the time and I write the column for Forbes there's never really an end product. So you're scrolling through your feed. You never actually uh, arrive at the end of it. You know, it's it's infinite. And so if you can, I, I know in Minnesota up here, we have a lot of people who fish. If you think of it as like a lure in a lake, it's always moving a little bit away from uh, from you and you're being drawn to it. And then as soon as you get close to it, it moves farther and farther away. And that never stops. So Um, Just talking directly to people who struggle with this issue of being always on, being always available by email, you know, flipping through your feed all the time. um, That's because there's this allure of technology and you're never going to find it. You're never going to reach the end of it. And so the question is, how are you going to battle against that? And I have some ideas on that as well.
0: All right, we're going to take a very brief break. We're going to hear more of John's ideas when we come back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with John Brandon this morning about the allure of social media and what feels like work. And we keep pursuing it, but maybe it's not really work. Uh, The prize is always just beyond our reach. We attune to what is alluring, but sometimes that just is just the illusion of working and not real work. John, you have more you want to say about that?
2: Yeah, this is another study that I found this week, and it was actually from a company called ByteDance, which I'm sure no one has heard of before. But they actually make this other little app called TikTok, so maybe you have heard of that one. In China, there's a different version of TikTok. It's the exact same app. But they recently came out with an interesting feature for parents that says, if your teenagers use this app, there's a way that you can go in and limit the usage of the app to only 40 minutes. And what I thought of when they did that was, wow, so they know that that's about how long you should use the app, especially if you're a teenager. And what's the implication for the rest of us? Well. There's a, way, there's a way to set limits on technology and say, you know, I'm, in my book, I talk about seven-minute limits, uh, but, but the, the lesson is really just to limit yourself on technology. Uh, I've got one tip for everybody uh, this morning just to try this and let me know if this works. Paul in the studio, Carmen, you try this too. If you feel like you're using your phone too much, try putting it in the trunk of your car and, and mm-hmm. close the lid And walk into work and see how often you use your phone. What's going to happen is you're going to think, you know, it's kind of annoying to go out to my car and grab that phone out of my trunk and I'm not going to do it. Or you're going to say after about five minutes, I'm going to go out there and grab that phone. Um, But the idea is just to set those limits. And when you do, it teaches you how to be a person who sets limits.
0: I have a friend who um, actually had her supervisor um, hold her phone, <laughs> right? Because right, if I really need my phone, I have to go ask the person whose time I'm stealing, right? Yeah, for an opportunity to do that. I, I because robbing our employers is really what's going on when we're scrolling social media in the middle of the workday. And uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those who calls people out on it from time to time. I mean, via a direct message, but I mean, I see somebody on a Christian on Twitter. I know they work for a Christian nonprofit, and they've been on Twitter for you know way too long talking about things that are not Work related, I just direct message them. I'm like, dude, you're just robbing from the kingdom right now. Right. Like that's what you're doing because yeah. you work for a Christian nonprofit and you're, you know. So anyway, so there you go. We can hold one another accountable. We can certainly work uh, more diligently to hold ourselves accountable. Um, John, I want to talk about this word that has been popping up of late. Um, it's called it's stagflation. So, in the word of the day, stagflation. What is stagflation, and where might you be seeing it in the workaday world today?
2: Oh, I, yeah, I know all about this one, and it's really talking about inflation, but the economy is stagnating at the same time. And and I I will tell you from a personal standpoint, uh, right now, my wife and I sold our house a, a couple months ago, and we're trying to buy another one. And we thought, oh, the market will calm down, and things will be pretty sane here soon enough. Not not so much. So uh, we're still trying to buy a house uh, a little bit closer to work. But what's happening is, you know, we got these stimulus payments. We got this extra cash. And then all of a sudden the price of milk went up and the price of gas went up. And, oh, by the way, the the, the house prices went up as well. So we haven't been able to keep up with what's going on. And I don't know where this is going to go. Um, I do know that at some point my wife and I are going to probably need to buy a house, you know, but for now we're just living in temporary housing. But yeah, I'm not sure where this is going to end up.
0: I noticed it. Uh, I mean, I'm not a person who pays super close attention to, you know, what does milk cost me this week uh, versus last week. But I can tell you that the average cost of what I put in the grocery cart, like I notice the total has gone up substantially. Mm-hmm. Um I you know I tend to buy kind of the same things when I go to the grocery store every time and there's an absolutely noticeable I would say it's a 20 to 25% increase in the total cost of a of a basket of groceries, you know, year over year. I mean I that that it might not be quite that great, but it it certainly feels that great. I see it also at the gas pump. Those are the two places where I probably my eyebrows go up because, like, I'm paying attention in that moment to how much a, a total um, uh, tank of gas costs, even if I'm not paying super close attention to how much a gallon
2: costs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a master plan to all of this, but whoever came up with the idea of giving us a lot of extra money and then raising prices on everything, <laughs> I don't think that's working out too well. Um, and, and I don't claim to be an economist as far as how to solve this. I would say one quick comment, though. Uh, there is there is a way to battle against the temptation and the allure of things and material items. Sometime I'd like to talk to you about, as a journalist, how I used to get FedEx boxes almost every day full of all these different packages. And then one day I realized, you know what, I don't really need another package. I don't need another phone uh, case, you know, for my iPhone. And I think that's where the economy starts. It starts in the heart where we say, what am I really pursuing after? What do I really want? What is my money leading me to get? And, and what, is, what is really my purpose in life? And, and that's where this can be solved in the heart.
0: I love that. That's so helpful. All right. John Brandon is the digital media director uh, here at Northwestern Media. We love him as one of our own. He also writes for Forbes. You can read what he's writing at Forbes.com. And you can check out his forthcoming book, 7 solution.com. We'll be right back. Ashley Abercrombie is what I would call an overcomer. She is going to teach us how to make love our habit um, in order that we can discover the resistance that we need to stay true to our convictions without sacrificing our relationships. Love is the resistance. That's up next.
1: You don't have to hurry or scurry. The Spirit-led life does not panic, it trusts. This is Max Locato. In Ephesians 1:19 and 20, the Apostle Paul reminds us that God's power is very great for us who believe. That power is the same as the great strength God used to raise Christ from the dead and put Him at His right side in the heavenly world. The same hand that pushed the rock from the tomb can shove away your doubt. The same power that stirred the still heart of Christ can stir your flagging faith. The same strength that puts Satan on his heels can and will defeat Satan in your life. Just keep the power supply open. Who knows, you may soon hear people asking, what's gotten into you? You see, as God's story becomes our story, his power becomes our power.
0: Joining us today, Ashley Abercrombie, among other things, the author of the book we're going to talk about today, Love is the Resistance. But I also want you to check out her podcast. Why though, T-H-O. Ashley, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's so great to be here with you, Carmen. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's just start off with this. I really appreciate in the introduction that you say about yourself something that is totally 100% true of me. You say, in these pages, I wanted to be sweet. I really did. I wanted to encourage you how to live and move and breathe in this world, just like Jesus did. I will do my best to do that. But the truth is, I'm not sweet. There's no time for that. The days are urgent. The church in America is a cesspool of sin and hypocrisy, and there's a reckoning running along the same fault line of awakening. What in the world is going on and what are you addressing in love uh, in this book where it's really just centered on love is the resistance?
3: Well, thank you for asking that question. Yes, I think, you know, a few years ago, I bet we could, most people could say they were a lot sweeter. (laughs) And I feel like the days that we are living in, you know, we have been pressed and we have been triggered and we are fighting with our neighbors in the comment sections on Facebook and we are arguing over politics and religion and faith and who's doing what the best way. And for me, I'm just tired of it, Carmen. I want us to be in a place where we know how to get along, even though we disagree, where we can better understand that we are speaking to human beings who are made in the image of God, and that we do not have the right to say anything we want to say anytime we want to say it to anyone we want to say it to. And I think it's really important, that idea that I do believe there is an awakening happening, but there's also a reckoning, and people need to repent and do better, truly.
0: And the do better, this is what I just love about the book, the do better is to do love. I mean, it's to be the people that we have been saved to be. So set out for folks what you are um, seeking to accomplish in love is the resistance.
3: Yes, so... Love, I believe, is one of those things that can be theoretical in our minds. It's it's one of those things that we think it's somewhere out there. Or perhaps it's romantic love, or perhaps I'll have it one day when. But I love what Mike Foster says. He says that we learn love from people who do not love us. So we learn love from people who do love us. We learn love from people who do not love us. And we are shaped and formed throughout our life. And that teaches us who to trust, who to relate to, who to connect with, if we're worthy, if, we're, if we feel inferior, if we feel superior, like all of these things are kind of shaped in our childhood, into our teenagers into our young adult life, and then we begin to practice and play all those dynamics out in our adulthood. And it, fec- it affects our relationships. It affects our sense of peace and well-being. It, is- it affects our happiness and capacity to connect with others and be in meaningful relationships where we can be honest. It also affects our capacity to end relationships, because sometimes that has to happen. There are necessary endings in life. And it also affects our capacity to redraw boundary lines when they are needed, when someone becomes hurtful or harmful or is hurtful or harmful in our workplace, in our home, in our family, in our friendships, we all have to redraw those boundary lines. And so I want to speak to some of these things and offer practical tools and ways to do that so that people can experience a more fulfilling sense of purpose in the world and more reciprocal, honest relationships where they are seen and known and where they have the privilege to see and know others.
0: We are talking with Ashley Abercrombie. I know you're already thinking to yourself, "Wow." I want to hear more of what she has to say. Love is the Resistance is the book we're talking about today. Ashley, I'd love for you to kind of establish your credibility with people. Like, you're, you're a person who is familiar with conflict. You are a person who has overcome a number of very real challenges in your life. Uh, when, yeah. you talk about, uh, when you talk about relationships and when you talk about sacrifice and when you talk about love, you actually know what you're talking about.
3: Yes, that is so true. So I have 18 years sobriety, 18 years sober from abuse of alcohol, drugs, perfectionism, and dysfunctional relationships, eating disorders. Like There's a long list of things I have gone through, of things I've had to suffer through, of things I've had to you know, overcome in my own life. And I think that when I was first growing up, you know, and, and as a young adult, I really didn't know how to have reciprocal relationships. I like to say that I had a PhD in pretending and through Mm. my recovery work and through my studies and through my time of working with people for, you know, almost 20 years now in, in the nonprofit and clergy space, I've learned how to relate to others and I've learned how to redraw boundary lines. And I've learned how to have these difficult conversations, not only because they were necessary for my sobriety but also necessary for my survival. I think that we're fooling ourselves or living in denial when we believe the lie that we cannot have fulfilling relationships or that we don't deserve fulfilling relationships. Perhaps we've made a lot of mistakes. Perhaps we've hurt a lot of people. It doesn't mean that you can't change and overcome. No one is born you know, an incredible communicator. No one is born knowing how to have healthy conflict. No one is born just knowing how to relate to others who are from different walks of life, who have different beliefs, are different ages, are different skin colors, different cultures. No one is born knowing how to do that. But communication is a skill that we learn and we do have the capacity to change. And I'm old school and I believe that.
0: (laughs) So... uh you're a living witness of the truths to which you speak and the path to which you point. And I want people to know and understand that. Um, Ashley yeah. is talking to us today as a sister in Christ, as a person who um, is walking the same path we are walking. She is familiar in her own life with brokenness. And she's also in the book. One of the things I love that you say is that you're comfortable with others in theirs. I mm-hmm. think that that is sort of the empathy that is necessary in order for love to be real and for a relationship to be genuinely reciprocal. This not just an acceptance of my own brokenness, and not that I'm satisfied in in staying there and I don't want to wallow there like I am a person, you know, actively submitting to the perfecting influence of Christ in my life, recognizing I'm not going to get perfect on this side of heaven, but comfortable with other people in their brokenness, that I think is the shift in thinking that has to take place.
3: Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And it's part of why I love the recovery communities because, you know, you lead with story and you lead with brokenness. So there is not this expectation to come into most recovery spaces and have it all together or be perfect or feel like, you know, in order for you to engage with others, you have to say the right things and do the right things and be the right things. You know, there is this expectation of, hey, we're all human here and we're all trying to figure this out and we have all made mistakes and we have all suffered from other people's mistakes and failures. And because of that, let's, let's accept ourselves so that we can better accept others. And one of the things I noticed that is really missing in our public discourse, but I believe this breaks down into an individual level, is this idea of healthy differentiation. And we don't know how to do that. And healthy differentiation allows room for me or for you to say, I know what my wants, my needs, my feelings, my desires are. And then we are able to tolerate someone else also having those. And I think sometimes we don't want people to have other thoughts or other ideas. And we don't want people to really own their feelings or own what they're thinking and share that with us. We want we have a tendency to want to either passively aggressively or full out aggressively or maybe a little passively control others. And we need our environment to be a certain way in order us to in order for us to feel safe, secure and satisfied. And that's not real life. So to your point, to be honest in relationship and to have the, the a real encounter with love, you do have to be able to accept that you're not perfect and nobody else is either.
0: All right, I want you guys to check out Ashley's website. Ashley, uh, it's actually Asha. Well, tell me how to say this. How do I tell them what the website is?
3: Absolutely. So it's ashabercrombie.org.
0: Ashabercrombie.org. See, I was not reading that right. Okay, so I can see it now. (laughs) Ash, and then her last name, abercrombie.org. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment, and I'm going to ask her about the picture on the front of the webpage, and this gives her time to go check it out um, because. That's a lot of chaos in the background, and I kind of appreciate it. We'll be right back. <laughs> the
1: world, shine on me. Is the All
0: right, picking up where we left off in our conversation with author Ashley Abercrombie, we're talking today. Um, I mean, officially, we're talking about her brand new book, Love is the Resistance, but we're unofficially talking about the chaos in the background of the picture on the front page of her website, which is (laughs) ashabercrombie.org. Okay, that is the most authentic space I have ever seen pictured on somebody's website.
3: (laughs) Well, hey, I like to, you know, practice what I preach. (laughs) We're all living this real life, are we not, Carmen? And I don't know totally. why we have like to put on a big show that, you know, it's not, that that we're not living real lives. I'm so sick of it. It's not necessary. We need to be able to relate one another to one another as real human beings.
0: <laughs> totally, absolutely, 100%. So if you um, think it's time to rethink the way that we relate to one another, if you recognize that the echo chambers and the polarizing narratives and the conflict and the tensions, I mean, if you're just up to your nose with all of that. Um, You know, we want to say, hey, so are we. And there is a way out of it. We can actually learn to resolve conflict in our relationships. We can be better. We can do better. The book is Love is the Resistance. Learn to disagree, resolve the conflicts you've been avoiding and create real change. All right, Ashley, I want to jump into part of the methodology that you follow here, because at the end of every chapter, you offer us four things. Tell us what those four things are, and then maybe let's just look at those four things at the end of chapter one.
3: Yes. So I'm offering you at the end of every chapter, an attitude to adopt an affirmation that you can speak a reflection question, and then a technique that you can use to either self-reflect or to engage in relationship and communication with others. And so I love that I'm able to offer that to people because I don't want to just tell you about love. I want you to actually be able to live it. And we need practical skills and practical tools and able to really flourish in our lives.
0: And I like that. So I'm just going to use the ones at the end of chapter one because I have them in front of me. So um, the attitude to adopt is I am curious about life, about myself, God and others. So these attitudes that were uh, that were adopted, these really positive statements um, Mm -hmm. embracing, you know, embracing a reality. I am curious about life, about myself, God and others.
3: Yes. And that's so important when you engage with other people because I think sometimes when we are not curious, what we can fall prey to is judging others. But when we're curious, we can ask questions. How did you arrive at that conclusion? How did you get there? What happened in your past that might have led you to think about this? Where did you hear what you're saying? And when we begin to ask these questions of others, there's a curiosity and a humility that keeps us in wonder of others. And I think it's always good to remember that when you're sitting with another human being or even when you're typing on your computer and you get a little trigger happy in the comment section, it is always so important to remember that this is a human being created in the image of God that God loves. And so because of that, we need to be more mindful of our words. And I believe that curiosity really helps us suspend judgment and relate to others in a way that is candid and kind.
0: For folks familiar with the scriptures, you're going to hear um, an echo of a biblical passage here in the affirmation that's offered at the end of chapter 1. I am able to thoroughly examine the voices and circumstances that shaped me, and I am courageous enough to ask God to search me, to see if there is any offensive way in me, and to lead me in the path of everlasting life.
3: Yes. One of my favorites here because Psalm 139 is so important and significant. And I love that in Psalm 139, you know, David is, is crying out and understanding his identity, you know, being created in his mother's womb, knit together intimately, you know, that God did that, that he created us. And then he has this capacity for humility where he asks God, you know what, search me. See if there's anything in me that offends you, and please lead me in the way of everlasting life. And I wonder sometimes in our world today, have we forgotten to be humble? Have we forgotten to ask God to search us? You know, but I think we can be brave and courageous and humble enough to do that, so that we don't walk around hitting people with with the log in our own eye as we're attacking them for a tiny little speck.
0: <laughs> yeah, I also appreciate in there that, you know, there's a humility about myself, but there's also um, an active knowledge of God's goodness and his faithfulness, how trustworthy he will be. He's not going to shame me. He's not going to whittle me down. Like, I can ask God to search me. I can ask God to, um, you know, to expose my offensive ways because I can also trust that he's going to lead me um, in that path of everlasting life. Like, there's something in there about the knowledge of the character of God that I think is so important
3: yeah that's so powerful, Carmen. We do sometimes because other people may have shamed us or because we're we're so afraid that we won't be welcome in our brokenness, like we talked about earlier that sometimes we forget that God in his goodness is able to be approached that He's merciful and kind and loving, and he wants to receive us. He wants us to come to him. I love that. Thank you for sharing that absolutely.
0: All right, so at the end of every chapter in the book, Love uh, is the Resistance, Ashley Abercrombie offers an, uh, an attitude, an affirmation, a reflection, and a technique. So the reflection in chapter one is why do I do what I do, which is just super excellent. And then let's talk a little bit about the technique, about this creating space for critical thinking and reflection
3: hmm So in our world today, we are constantly moving. I don't know about you guys, but there are some mornings where I wake up and the first thing I do is pick up my phone and start scrolling. And I'm not proud of that. It's just true that there are days when I do that. And I don't take even 10 minutes to just sit still before God. And I think there's part of us that really needs that stillness, that solitude. And I love thinking about sitting with God without any distraction or any other influence, just being with him, not even expecting him to talk back. If he does, great. If I have a sense in my heart that God might want to you know, speak to me, or if he might want to offer me his grace, or if he might want to help me be comforted or offer me peace, great. But just to sit with God for 10 minutes every day and make space for critical thinking. And I like these two questions. Is there anything you want to give God? Maybe you have an anxiety, maybe you have a concern, maybe you have you know, a fear that you might want to hand over to God. And then is there anything, God wants to give you, you know, as you hand him your fear, is he giving you love? As you hand him your concerns, is he giving you grace? As you hand him perhaps your addiction or your struggle, you know, is God able to give you back his peace? And so I think it's so important that we just sit with God for a couple of minutes every day and receive that.
0: Yeah, I um I'm always hoping that God wants me to God wants to give me himself because Yeah,
3: totally because, right? I need it. Because
0: cause I am good. <laughs> if that if god if god is there i am good um all sure. right ashley before we um before we run out of time in our conversation today and thank you so much you are just precious and we want um we want people to not only check out the book love is the resistance but visit ashley on her website org and check out um check out her podcast as well um give people some encouragement today who they know Um, that they are broken, but they don't yet know the offer of being whole.
3: Mm, how beautiful! Well, I think sometimes we have these well-worn patterns in our brain that tell us that we're never going to be different, or they tell us that it it can never be overcome, or that a relationship can never be restored, or that 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 habit or that hurt or that hang-up that we have, um, or that might even borderline on addiction, that it's never you're never going to be free from it. And one of the things I want to tell you is 100% you can be free from it. I'm 18 years sober. Like I am just one person. There is not much special about me. I assure you. And I believe that if God can do that for me. He can do that for you. It's one day at a time, one step at a time, but you can be made whole. And remember, people can change. Even you, you can do it one day at a time.
0: All right. There's all kinds of great stuff um, available at ashabercrombie.org. Also, if you go and you check out the website or check out the podcast, um, and you look for Love as the Resistance, and this particular one that I'm looking at is with Jennifer Toledo, you also get some um, yeah. extra stuff in there if you know where to click. So click around. Yes. Click around. <laughs> um, it's, it's so much fun. It's so much fun to meet you even um, in this way, and I look forward to the ways in which God continues to use you. I appreciate your voice, and I appreciate the way that you um, speak with such authenticity. So thank mm-hmm. you, and you go, girl.
3: Thank you, Carmen. What a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate you so much.
0: Likewise. All right, that's Ashley Abercrombie. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, I have good news for you. We have books. We have books to give away. I didn't know. And so if you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of Love is the Resistance, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. I don't know. I really liked her. I hope you liked her as much as I did. This has been a really fun day. Thank you so much um, for the encouraging conversations that we have had the privilege of having with one another. Let me encourage you to uh, spend time today in the Word of God. Saturate your life. Spend time in the presence of the Lord in ardent prayer. Uh, Let us seek Him. Let us seek Him first. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, trusting that Everything we need is going to be added unto us as well. God is sovereign. God is good. God can be trusted. He's faithful and true. His mercies are new every morning, including this morning. All right. Uh, we do have books to give away. Would love for you to enter the drawing for the copies of Love is the Resistance by Ashley Abercrombie that we have here in studio. To enter the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you missed my conversation with Colin Smith, uh or Rosie Brossen in the first hour, go grab the podcast. It will be posted later today at myfaithradio.com. Let me tell tell you, um, it is shareable. It is, you're going to want to listen, you're going to want to bookmark it, and you're going to want to share it uh, with others. Really, um, really sweet time this morning uh, in the first hour of the show. All right, I've loved being with you. Thanks for taking me along uh, for the ride. Have a great day, and God bless.